We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, Ray Dinger, it is time for this week in Philadelphia sports history, brought to you by Scheib Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or at ScheibSports.com. Com. By the way, best caller of this hour, so we can get two or three in, wins a $50 gift certificate to Shibe Sports. Ray, it was, oh my gosh, 1968 was what? 1968 was 54 years ago? Don't remind me. Get the. <laughs> wow. It was 54 years ago yesterday. And people don't believe this story, that this actually happened. So I'm, I need you to confirm this. All right. It was a cold and blustery February afternoon in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. 11,000 people are at the Spectrum. By the way, the, the one-year-old Spectrum right. in South Philadelphia. It just opened in October. They're going to see a matinee performance of the Ice Capades. And 11,000 for the Ice Capades was more than the Flyers were drawing for hockey games that at right? that time. Oh, yeah. Well, it was better skating. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden, the wind picks up. Ray, what happened? The roof blew off. It really happened. <laughs> it really did. It's really true. Yeah, a big, big chunk of it. I mean, not the whole roof. The whole roof didn't fly off. That's but how I, I always envisioned it. Like it would just pick up in one thing and like fly into the into the Delaware. Yeah, it, it wasn't quite that, but but one chunk of it uh, at one end of the building um, did rip off. Here's what the story. And you could actually, and you could actually see the sky. Yeah, I pulled. <laughs> It's an open-air stadium. I pulled the story up, and it says, While spectators watched in amazement, high winds ripped away a 50-by-100-foot section of the roof and sent it crashing to the ground outside. Here's um, This this is a highlight. The guy you're about to hear, by the way, is, is you're going to hear a couple people. One is Lou Scheinfeld, who we're going to have on in a minute, and one is our old friend Larry Kane. So here's them recalling the episode. It was a Saturday uh, morning in February. Uh, Maybe four months after we opened, we had an ice capade show. Midway through the show, this fierce wind kicked up and this howling wind around the building. And all of a sudden, if you looked up, you could see light. You had to be there to understand it was really a cave-in. It wasn't just a small hole. And when, <laughs> and every and all the writers in this town, you know, writers in this town can be blasphemous. And uh, in those days, they just knocked the whole city and the inspection establishment and Snyder and this and that. And, you know, it happened. First of all, it doesn't sound like you could just see light. It sounds like you could see God based on the music they're playing. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and Larry Kane says, people got nasty about it. I want to read you. This was Sports Illustrated writing about it a little bit after. It's a little bit overwrought. The writer's name is William Johnson. The last cheer to echo inside Philadelphia's spectrum faded nearly a month ago. He's been writing in March. Since then, the new arena, which is built along the clean, if uninspired lines of a six-story sardine can, has sat vacant and silent on the sullen, windswept flats of South Philadelphia, where once, coincidentally, the city dumped its garbage. 
inside the building where both the NBA 76ers and NHL Flyers pulled big, noisy crowds all winter, there is now only the sound of raindrops leaking down on some of the 15,000-plus seats and the whisper of wings as pigeons soar past the blacked-out scoreboard. It is gloomy, all right, in South Philadelphia. So who wrote this, Dickie Dunn? <laughs> <laughs> trying to get the story. Just trying to get the just trying to get the spirit of the thing. Um, so I I get you know what? So Lou Scheinfeld, who is the guy you heard in that thing, who was the president of the Spectrum, or I don't know if he was at the he time, was, but ended he was up VP, yeah, and VP of the Flyers. Uh, let's get him on and talk about it, Lou. Um, I hope that we kind of recalled it accurately. Were you in the building that day, Lou? No, I was not. I actually was out of town. Uh, oh, convenient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I blew, I blew town, and uh, I was not there, but it was, uh, you know, I think around 2 o'clock on a Saturday, and 11,000 people were in the stands for an ice capade show. And, um, uh, you know, South Philly is always very windy down there by the end of the city and the Delaware River, and huge wind comes whipping across the spectrum roof. And um, the Spectrum had a, a four-foot parapet. Is that the word, parapet? Uh, meaning that the, the brick facade went up four feet above the roof. So the wind whipped across the top of this um, four-foot uh, wall and created a vortex, <laughs> which lifted tar paper and insulation. The roof never came off. Tar paper and insulation did, but it touched off a whole bunch of uh, political uh, scenes after that. So then, you, so then, Lou, you have to now you have to start scrambling and re- and work out a flyer schedule and a sixer schedule because they still have games. I mean, they're they're out of the building now because the ice capades are there, but they got to come home at some point. Uh, and you all of a sudden had to start patching together a whole new schedule. I know that the flyers wound up, and the thing was, the flyers this was their first year. And they were playing really well. You were the you were in first place in that Western division, or whatever they call the where all the expansion teams were. You guys were leading the division and playing really good hockey. And all of a sudden, you didn't have a, you didn't have home ice. Well, the the roof uh, we patched it up, uh, uh, believe it or not, with uh, more tar and more paper and stuff, and. Two weeks later, it blows off again on yeah. March 1st. <laughs> and this time, it, it opened up a much bigger hole. See, the the, the uh, tar paper, the insulation, and under that was a perforated metal roof, uh, perforated so that the sound wouldn't bounce back down uh, for the PA or for a concert. So you could see through to the sky. And one of the funny things was that at that ice cafe show, the, the orchestra started playing, off we go into the wild blue yonder. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it blew up again two weeks later on March 1st, and Mayor Tate was running against uh, Arlen Specter for uh, mayor, and uh, both of them wanted to close the building first. And uh, then we were out of that building for 35 days, and the Flyers played uh, uh, in uh, at the Garden, a home game in Madison Square Garden, and one in uh, Toronto. And then we moved to Quebec, and we and for the next for thirty five days we were out of that building. It's tough to be a fan that year. So I just kind of want to jump ahead because what happened was the thing became such a such a white elephant. The city really didn't have the capability to handle it. That Ed Snyder, to his credit, recognized an opportunity, and my sense is I'm going to allow you to say what happened. But this became a huge step forward for Ed Snyder. 
the flyers and everything that he ended up building? Well, yes. Uh, you know, uh, Jerry Wallman was the impetus for the whole project uh, to build a new arena and get a, uh, a hockey franchise for Philadelphia. Jerry was the uh, young owner of the Philadelphia Eagles, and Ed was his uh, vice president and treasurer. And uh, because Wallman was a developer, he, he actually helped secure the franchise for Philadelphia because he would build a new arena. And uh, unfortunately, he went bankrupt. Uh, he was building a Chicago uh, tower, uh, and it, uh, they had foundation problems, and Jerry wound up going bankrupt. And Snyder picked up the pieces. Uh, uh, otherwise, you know, that building might have never been finished, and the fires might have wound up in Baltimore. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, that. but that first year, it was... Lou, I mean, you, uh, just to, for folks to know a little bit about Lou's background, Lou's a newspaper guy, worked at the Philadelphia Daily News, was a city hall reporter for the Philadelphia Daily News for a good long while, did a lot of stuff in the city, and when um, Ed Snyder and Jerry Walman started putting things together to build the spectrum and bring a hockey team, too big an NHL franchise, to Philadelphia, uh, they reached out to Lou and brought, him, and brought him on board and made him the VP and helped put everything together. But, you know, when you – when – the idea of hockey coming to Philadelphia, the National Hockey League coming to Philadelphia and coming into that building, to a city that really didn't know that much about the sport, um, were you optimistic right, right from the beginning that hockey was going to make it here? Because I know the, uh, the initial feeling among the media and a lot of the sports writers in town, you know, the veteran guys, the merchants, the Hockmans, all those guys, were very, very skeptical about hockey succeeding in Philadelphia. And, and so was my wife. I, mean, I had a nice job. I covered City Hall. I became a, a night nice city editor. And uh, all I ever wanted to be was a reporter. So I was in heaven. And then when they offered me this job, I, they had offered me jobs before that, uh, uh, different things at the Eagles. And they bought the uh, cab company. They were starting NFL films. And I just wanted to be a reporter. And uh, then one day Snyder said to me, we're going to try and get a, a franchise in the National Hockey League. I said, well, that's nice. You know, Philadelphia's not a hockey town. He said, but if we do, we have to build a brand new arena. Would you be interested in coming in and help us start both those projects? And I said, well, that's a game changer. And I said to my wife, if, if this happens, I'm going to go. And she says, I think you're nuts, including a lot of my friends thought I was crazy. And uh, looking back on it and writing this book, I just wrote, um, I wonder if I would, I would do that again. Um, but I had faith. I had faith in Snyder. I had faith in Jerry Woolman. I knew Philly. I knew Philly sports fans. I thought it would go over. Uh, tell, just tell us quickly about the book. You have a book uh, that's uh, about your career? Uh, yeah, it um, it's, uh, goes back to the beginning of uh, me being a, uh, growing up in a candy store in North Philly and winding up as a reporter with the Daily News and then going to the uh, Flyers and Spectrum. Uh, it's called Blades, Bands, and Ballers, and uh, it's available at all the bookstores. And uh, if you want an autographed copy, go to my site, uh, themuseumofsports.org. And I'm very proud of it. It, uh, It's my only book. I've never written a book. I don't know if I'll write another one, but I had a lot of fun. And it brought back memories, you know, from 1966. Uh, And I had to do a lot of research. I talked to dozens of people, uh, people at electric factory concerts, a circus, uh, different people. And uh, it it just was was cathartic. And uh, I did it because... Whenever I would meet people or talk to people, they would say to me, you got, you have great stories. Why don't you write a book? So uh, like Ray Dittinger, I wrote a book. There you go. <laughs>
it, and there really is a lot of really really good funny stuff in there. I I really enjoyed reading it, Luke, because a lot of it was familiar to me. But some of the stories about you know the concert people, Elvis Presley. Um, you're dealing with the mob guys down in South Philadelphia who would come in and ask for tickets to the circus, dealing with the mayors, the politicians in this town. It's really a fun book for anybody who wants to know anything about how it all started down in South Philadelphia. Blades, Bands, and Ballers is really a fun read. Lou, we, uh, we appreciate you jumping on and telling us that story. Look forward to reading more, man. No, thank you so much. All right, thank you very much. So when the roof blows off and the spectrum falls into disrepair and the city it's become this boondoggle and so on, what happens where Snyder saw the opportunity is he offered the city a deal. And he, got a, he said, I'll get a lease on the building. And he got a lease that I think was 25 years at $1,250 a month, <laughs> which is less than people pay for rent in their house. Yeah, I know. And he got it, and it allowed him to build it back and to, they got the Sixers back in there. He made money off of that. They got the ice capades. They got the circus. They got religious conventions. They got concerts. They got everything. That place was a, maybe at one point the most booked arena in the country. Oh, I think it was. And the money all went to Ed. And listen, he saw the opportunity, and he used that to build up the flyers and Spectacor and all the other things that he built. And that was that was the turning point for him. Listen, he already had a hockey team, but... That was the turning point that made Ed Snyder into a very, very wealthy man and a hugely influential person. Yeah, they went around and around with about what to, what to name it. Uh, and Lou was actually the one that came up with the name Spectrum. Uh, was the idea that we should, it's going to be more than just an arena for sports teams. We're going to bring concerts in here. We're going to bring conventions in here. We're going to bring everything in here. And we wanted, we're going to do the whole Spectrum. And it was like, hey, that's it. The Spectrum. It's a good name. It was a great name, and uh, they called it America Showplace, and and it really was. And I'll tell you, I was there when they snipped the ribbon, and we all walked inside for Meet the Flyers Day, our first look at the place. And I remember walking in there and thinking, man, this is beautiful. <laughs> because Are, I mean, Arenas I'm, will never get better than this. Honest, honestly, I mean, I'm a kid that grew up going to the arena at 46th and Market Street, which was falling up, literally falling apart. I mean, there the roof was falling in on you. It wasn't blowing away. Uh, I mean, and it was so dingy and dark. Um, and to walk into the spectrum, it, it was just absolutely, yeah. at that time, 67, it was a beautiful building. Yeah, well, that is our this week uh, Scheib Sports moment in Philadelphia sports history. And again, uh, the uh, best call of this hour gets a $50 gift certificate to Scheib Sports. Let's go to Rod in Mount Airy. He wants to talk about Carson Wentz, which we brought up at the start of the show. What's on your mind, Rod? Yeah. Uh, I want to know... Is Carson Wentz becoming the next Jeff George? Um, I say this because I see a couple of things in similarity. Uh, Some nagging injuries uh, that are affecting the mechanics, Uh, Wentz and George, the attitude uh, and the approach to the game. Uh, Preparation for game day is a little bit shaky sometimes. Uh, What are your guys' thoughts? I think it's a really interesting comparison. Bad teammate stubbornness pass through the Colts. <laughs> I don't know what else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's uh, it. It is. There are some, there definitely are. There, def, there definitely are some similarities. Um, I mean, Jeff George was the, the, the first pick in the draft. Carson was number two. Um, you know, George was just a great passer. Uh, I mean, I remember uh, you could talk to some NFL scouts 
today, even today, guys that have been doing it for a while, who will tell you that Jeff George's workout, when he did his individual workout before the draft when he came out, was the best workout they had ever seen a quarterback have. Better than anybody. Mm. Better than Montana, better than Marino. In, in terms of just his ability to throw the football. The Jeff George just threw the ball better than anybody they had ever seen. That's how he wound up being number one. But he had um, he wasn't very smart, uh, whereas Carson Wentz was very smart. Um, but there was an obstinance about him uh, and uh, an inflexibility about, look, I'm going to play the way I want to play, that did make them similar. Um, and George had some success. Never had the success that Wentz had in, tw- in 2017. Never played as well as Wentz did that year. Uh, but he had some moments in the course of his career where he played well. But you look back on him, and whenever people tell the stories about, boy, the what could have been. Yeah, he's a good one. Jeff George is always in that discussion. Yeah. You know what? Carson Wentz probably will be too. Yeah, I think it's a good comparison. I mean, obviously they're not exactly the same guy, but there is a lot in similarity. And the expectations for both of those guys and the talent that both of them had and both ended up being kind of, it didn't really, didn't really happen. Um by the way, the ratings came in for the Super Bowl. Yes. Pretty solid. Uh, spectacular. Really, really, really. A- over, uh, more than 112 million people watching, uh, which was a big jump over last year. And you would have thought that last year with the to- whole Tom Brady story would have been a big, big audience. Yeah. Last year they yeah, did Brady not- versus Mahomes last year. Mahomes is the hottest thing going, too. Yeah, I mean, the argument of, of the greatest quarterback of all time versus the greatest quarterback of today mm-hmm. seemed like an uh, irresistible draw. And that did $94 million. This year, $112 million. So, um, wonder why. You know, I, I don't know. Did COVID have something to do with it? I don't know. COVID has something to do with everything. It seems to. Yeah, I, and I can't even always figure out how and why and what. I mean, you're stuck at home. What else are you going to do? Yeah. You know what always amazes me when I hear that number? So, what would you say? 112 people watched the Super Bowl? $112 million. Okay. What were the other 238 million Americans doing? <laughs> right? The country. I think I read recently the country has reached 350 million people. Right. It's a lot, but whatever. So you, what are those other people doing? I mean, I guess some of them are like two, two years old, and so they're, you know, getting their diaper changed. And I guess some of them are grandmas, although I know a lot of grandmas who watch. I, I, that's the part that always amazes me. Mm-hmm. Football. I saw a thing recently. I may have showed it to you, or we may have even discussed it on the air. It was a list of the 100 most watched events on television in 2021. Oh, you showed me this. Right? And it included TV shows and it included news events, political things, you know, anything that was on TV. And 75 of the 100 most watched things on TV last year were football games. Yes. Pro or college. Right. Mostly, overwhelmingly pro. There were a couple bowl games probably in there. Uh, and I think like another seven or eight were basketball, NBA games. Or I shouldn't say NBA, probably uh, NCAA probably, tournament. Probably the tournament, yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, and so like 85 of the top 100 watched things. 75 were football, 10 were basketball, and the rest were scattered. Like, you know, Oscars night was one thing. And there was one political thing, but I don't even know what it was. Maybe it was the, I don't know what would be the big political thing. The inauguration maybe was it, right? That was in 2021. Right. Maybe that's what it was. Um and there was like two shows, and it just shows you the hugeness that is the NFL. That it's even as people say, ah, it's down. People don't watch it anymore. Uh, uh, whatever. It's people. It is not true. It, no, it's a it's a mega monster. It's, it's a monster and is a monster. What? But what's conspicuous by its absence in that list is baseball. 
Yeah, it's baseball, and here and here's baseball further killing itself. Listen, driving you, itself even deeper into the ground. You and I ranted. I did most of the ranting, but at the start of the show for like ten minutes about baseball and there's no spring training and all the people here plan to go down there and, and so on and can they change the game? I got some nice calls here. Not one. Nobody's talking about baseball. Nobody. It's Ray. I would not have believed it years ago, and I believe it now. It is a sport that has lost its its place in American culture. Yeah, I know. You know, I mean, if the Phillies become what they were back in 06 to 011, to 011, 06 to 11, in this town it'll matter, but it'll never be. Nobody knows. You know, it's so funny. Um, the Washington Nationals have offered Juan Soto a deal for $350 million, which he's probably going to turn down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Juan Soto could walk down Broad Street and nobody would know who he is, and most people don't know his name. Right. Mike Trout, people kind of know because he grew up here. He goes to Eagles games. That's how they know him. Yeah. <laughs> right. They know him through his association well, with never, the Eagles. They've certainly never seen him in the postseason. Right. Right. And baseball just doesn't have anybody that anybody knows or cares about. Yeah, okay. Mike, Mike Trout's profile is through the lens of football. I mean, the best yeah. player in baseball is better known for going to football games. Yeah, that's true. All right, Alex in Exton, you're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, Alex. Hey, a um, couple things. Uh, I think Carson Wentz, uh, was overrated in 2017. I think that if Nick Foles had played uh, that entire season, uh, would have. Did you watch him that well. year? Did you watch him with I your did, eyes that I, year? I think they had a great team that surrounded him. I'm just saying that I think if Nick Foles played, he would play just as well. And uh, okay. that's my opinion. Uh, and my my last point, and uh, I admire both of you greatly, especially Ray. But as a former former English teacher, although, Ray, you've been better in the last five minutes, please, action verbs, take adverbs, oh, thanks. not adjectives. I, I really Play appreciate you the- teaching us how to write and how to speak. That's good. Thank you. He's a former English teacher, Ray. Uh, I heard him say that, yes. You've won a few National Journalism Awards? Um, I'm not, well, I don't know, maybe. I think you did. I won a few National Journalism Awards. Mm-hmm. Written six books. You've written how many books? Uh, Twelve. Yeah. So get those action verbs in there and stop with the adjectives. I appreciate that. Uh, What he may not realize is that speaking contemporaneously sometimes does not allow you to edit your stuff as much as you would. And when we do radio, we are kind of living in the moment. So if we don't speak as well as he likes, I apologize. Mm. Scheib Sports Caller of the Hour? No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, By the way, I I also... don't agree with this point that Carson Wentz wasn't wasn't well. That's all, a given. That, but go ahead. No, I I know this is. <laughs> I knew this conversation was going to just raising the name of Carson Wentz was going to open the door to this conversation. Um, but the revisionist history is out there now. That he was never really that good. Um, go back and look at go back and look at what he did in 2017 when he was when he was really rolling there. Uh, I, I gave you the numbers. It was the best. It was the best stretch of football that an Eagles quarterback has played probably since Van Brocklin, uh, and he was the best player in the NFL up to that point. Then the injury happens in Los Angeles, and things have never been the same. And you can say whatever you want about Carson Wentz today. Uh, you can talk about what his career has become. Um, that's fine. That's all fair game. But to now go back and say, hey, you know what, he was never that good in 2017 is just pure nonsense. If you go back and look at it, he was the best player in football, and he was the reason that the Eagles were where they were at that point in the season. 
Um, coming up, we're going to, um, well, we're going to have what we're watching. I watched, I am watching what I think is a very popular, highly rated TV show that everybody in the world loves these days. I don't know if I love it right. Really? Yeah. I'll tell people about it. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to recommend it with reservations and coming up at noon. This is, we're really excited about this. We've been, we've done a hundred plus tell us your story episodes now where we've interviewed sports legends, Players, coaches, broadcasters, people who've had great moments in history. I'm sorry, let me change it. Historic moments. I want to please the caller. Yes. Um, and you had the idea that let's take some moments from these 100 interviews and really kind of cull through them. Yeah, and create a, a show called Best Of, Tell Us Your Story. And um, originally when I proposed it, I thought we'd, we'd get one show out of it. Uh, I thought we'd get one one-hour show out of it and it'd be pretty fun. Uh, but when I started going back through the interviews, um, they're really good. <laughs> they were really good. And I said to Glenn, I said, um, they're, they're, we can't possibly do just one hour. It'll have to be at least two. And then I went through some more and I said, no, you know, it's going to have to be three. And we wound up doing three one-hour shows. We did the last, we did the last one called my, my Favorite Moment or My Greatest Moment, which is a lot of fun. We got a very nice response to that. And now the one we're going to run today is, uh, is a show where everybody, where a lot of these guys are going to talk about how they started, where they came from, their families, their life's experiences, how they came to Philadelphia, and how in some cases they wound up leaving Philadelphia and the pain of that. So um, the show is called Roots, and uh, I think it's going to be, if you enjoyed the first of Best of Tell Us Your Story, I think you're really going to enjoy today. Nicely said. 215-592-9494. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. And if you're a Philly sports fan, then you need to check out my friends at Shy Vintage Sports. They're your home for throwback sports apparel in Philadelphia. Now, it's locally owned. Shy carries name brands as well as original designs by Philadelphia artists. So if you're thinking Philadelphia A's, you're thinking about Veterans Stadium, you're thinking about Franklin Field, you're thinking about Prism, the next time you need some new gear before the game or you're looking for the perfect gift, go to the store that, that evokes all of those memories at Scheib Vintage Sports. Visit them at 13th and Walnut Street, their main store in Center City, or you can go online to scheibsports.com. And you'll be sure to tell them that Ray sent you, and you will get 15% off. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.